This is exactly right. If you're a fan of meticulously crafted worlds that reimagine every little detail, then you'll enjoy the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Host Eric Malinsky spent over a decade working in public radio and uses those skills to create a sound-rich podcast that features interviews with Andy Weir, who wrote The Martian, the writers of hit TV shows like Star Trek Strange New Worlds, designers of games like Magic the Gathering, and the puppeteer who designed Miss Piggy. You can find Imaginary Worlds wherever you're listening to this podcast. Welcome to another episode of I Saw What You Did. My name is Billy Cherico. I'm Danielle Henderson. And uh, we're here to talk about film again with you. Danielle, what is up with you? Uh, everything's chill. I'm still having some work done in the house, but it's it's almost done. Um, so again, if you hear some banging around, um, that's what's happening. But I'm, hap- I'm so happy with how it's coming out and everything's chill. I'm getting ready for like a sweet ass, hopefully nice winter. Um, but I want to follow up with how you're doing because we've been chatting like yes. on the phone and text yes. about your last crazy. You have, you had a wild couple of weeks. I'll just say that. Yeah. I mean, it's been like a 24 hour hotline of freakouts and shit to you. And I apologize for that. I appreciate you being my friend and holding space for me. Always. Always. And it's just like, so, and it's buried. It's not just like one thing. You've had a lot of weird things. (laughs) Yeah. It's been super cuckoo in my life. And I'm like, what? I don't know. I'm, I'm not this type of person that like loves chaos in that way. Like it's, I don't know. Like some people I know are like, I love it when there's like a bunch of stuff going on. I feel like, you know, things are moving around and I'm like, no, I like it when things are just like real steady, boring waters. Like I like Mm -hmm. predictability. I like, you know, not having a million trillion different weird things happening at once. So, you know, I think generally, like, part of what's going on for me right now is that I'm just, like, pounding job interviews, you know? And I have been for the past... I mean, I've been unemployed this entire year, right? Yeah. And, you know, I think panic is setting in, obviously. To be honest with you, it's been for, like... I'll just tell you right now. I've been on a severance package from my company. It's very generous. I'm very blessed to have it, okay? The first, like, two or three months, it was so great, right? I, like, (laughs) went to Europe. I was taking fucking art classes. I was like, this is amazing. I've never had this much time off in my life. Like, let's explore the world, okay? Yeah. Then at about the six-month mark, I was like, damn, I haven't worked in six months. That's a long time. And, you know, I think you and I are, you know, we we had kind of different, like, work trajectories. I mean, you have been freelance for a majority of your life, and I w- was like a nine-to-fiver at a company, yeah. right? And I'm not saying that either one of those things are better, trust no. me. But I think that I just, the, the rhythm of, like, a nine-to-five job was just so ingrained in my being that I just was like, I I was feeling disoriented. I still am because I'm like, wow, I don't go to work. Like I'm not working a nine to five job. I'm not, I don't have a reason to get up at any time necessarily. Yeah. You know? And it was like, 
And that maybe is kind of depressing. <laughs> it makes me feel like I'm this... I was this indoctrinated capitalist fuck or something to be like, <laughs> I can't believe I can't work in, in, a, in an office for a corporation. But, you know, just the structure. The structure of it was missing. And like six months go by and I'm like, oh yeah, this is really weird. And I think now that it's the end of the year, it's getting a little nutty. I'm feeling very nutty. And so, yeah. and, I, and I've been doing interviews, like I said, throughout the throughout the year, but there's been sort of an uptick in them. Uh, yeah. And so it's just been like, the you know, the chaos of like trying to prepare for things and, you know, like getting hopes up and dreams dashed and that kind of shit. It's just been wild. So that's like the baseline anxiety that I'm experiencing right now. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that sucks. I'm so sorry. I know that feeling, but it sucks. Yeah. But... So it's setting this really great tone for all the other crazy shit that's been happening. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm on edge. Let's just say I'm on edge, okay? I'm a postcard on the edge. So, oh, no. a f- like, a couple weeks ago, I went on a trip. I was gone for about a week, right? So the day that I got back, I went to go pick up my dog, Sophie. She was staying at a friend's house. I, my flight gets set in the late afternoon. I go pick her up. We settle into the house. I start unpacking. You know, it's probably around like 10 p.m. And, you know, I am in my bed and I'm like watching TV with the dog on the bed. And my bed, like my bedroom and my bed face the kitchen, basically. Right. Like my bedroom is kind of like off the kitchen and it's like other part of the house. And I'm just laying there. And all of a sudden I see this critter (laughs) run across my kitchen. It is, I cannot explain how bad that (laughs) feeling is if you've never, if you've never had that happen. (laughs) It is the most instantly terrifying feeling in the world. Um, Absolutely, 100%. I have never experienced it until that moment. I'll just tell you right now. And I immediately thought of you because you (laughs) This whole podcast is a a record of how many of these like wild animals that you've dealt with on your property since you moved in to this farm on, in your hometown. So, no, oh, that's why I'm getting work done because I swear I've I mentioned this briefly. I don't know if I talked about it on the podcast, but a squirrel fell through a loose ceiling tile last winter. Carrot killed it. And dropped it at the foot of my bed. So I woke up one morning, eyes popped open, and there was just a dead squirrel on the floor in front of me. And I lost my mind. So dead is great. But also just like seeing a little mouse running along the edge of a wall sends me into a fucking tailspin. And it's not even like, oh, it's because it's a mouse and I'm just so delicate. It's fucking creepy when something works its way into your home space. Like, it's just fucking creepy. (laughs) I mean, girl, like... So many things. Like, so I didn't know what it was at first. Like, I fucking, all I saw, to be completely bare-ass honest with you, was a long tail. Fuck that! And I, readers, let me tell you, I screamed (laughs) bloody fucking murder. Like, in a way that I was like, I always thought if this happened to me that I would freak out. But I, it was like 20 times worse than I ever imagined. I leapt out of bed. I, like, ran to this, like, little room that's, like, my 
mud room, I guess. I don't have a mud room, but you know what I mean? It's yeah. like the room where the fucking uh, washer and dryer is and like brooms and shit. I, pick, I picked up a fucking broom and I was like holding it like a baseball bat. And I was basically like, I back, like I ran, I ran and scurried to get that shit. And then I ran back into my bedroom and was just waiting because I was like, is this fucking thing going to come back out? Because what it, <laughs> what happened was all I saw from the doorway was that it kind of ran across my kitchen and then it went like underneath my refrigerator. <gasps> and I was like, holy fucking shit. You're waiting for it to then, come out with like sparkles. Remember that Scott Thompson skit on Kids in the Hall <laughs> yes. when he's playing baseball and at one point he just pops up and he's holding two sparklers. You're waiting yes. for this thing to and like saunter got- out. <laughs> And he's got that, like, outfit on that's got, like, the clear yeah. over the nips. Like, yeah. dude. He just went well, to your refrigerator to change. He just went to go change his outfit so he can come out. He's like, oh, I didn't know you were home. I need to <laughs> jazz it up. Well, let me tell you, let me tell you right fucking now. Truly, like, maybe two and a half minutes after that happened, I'm sure it was a second critter. Like, I first I was like, it, it's got to be one. There's got to be just one. And I'm like, no, no, no. This one was smaller. Maybe mm. like the child of the first one. <laughs> one you know, one like is a, the dream. One is the hope. Where you're like, one thing got in here. You hope it's one <laughs> motherfucker. Because that feels like a, you know, a battle. Right. Like a, a very like lion in winter-esque sort of like <laughs> epic battle between you and like this one thing. The fact that there was a second was like, oh, fuck. This is like, I'm outnumbered officially. How about this? I swear to God. I swear to God this happened. I am not, I am not making this up. The second smaller one runs by and then runs by my eye line and then comes back and like, turns its head around the corner and was, like, looking at me for about a second. No. Like, oh. Like, I didn't know you were home. This thing was like, oh, word? <laughs> like, <laughs> you're here, too? Guess what? We we in here. We are in here. <laughs> like, you are intruding I... in your own home. <laughs> <laughs> this thing was fucking, like, fucking with me, officially. Like, you know, oh, yeah. run past me and then turn around and be like, Actually, I saw you, bitch. Like that second one was bold, and I don't like oh. a bold critter. And look, it's it's younger. It's probably a teenager. It's mm. you know got no fucking sense, right? However, I was truly shitting. Like I was like, I screamed, "Fuck you, motherfucker!" And like I was like trying so oh hard to not completely lose my shit. Like I was like so terrified, and I I was like, I don't I don't know what I'm. What uh, what do I do? So I called I called these friends of mine who had ju- I just saw, you know, they were watching my dog Drennan and Taylor. They had lived in New York at one point. I was like, I just called them, and I was like, I think I saw maybe a mouse, maybe a rat, maybe a possum. I don't know what the fuck it was. And they were like, <laughs> Well, we used to live in New York. Like, do you have any peppermint oil in the house? I'm like. No mm. peppermint oil. And they were like, well, when we lived in New York, we, you know, they used to say, like, you can, like, soak some cotton balls in peppermint oil and put them around places. Yeah. They don't like the smell and this and that. And it's safe for the pets so, and, like, yeah. Yes. So, immediately, I was like, what is anything in my house that is comparable to peppermint oil? Because who the fuck just has peppermint oil hanging out? <laughs> um, so, I realized that I had this, like, 
bottle of this um, essential oil that you like put in a fucking diffuser that's called chill pill. (laughs) And I was like, I looked at the ingredients and I'm like, oh, this has X, this, that. Oh, it has some peppermint oil in it. So I took that bottle that has that like stu- that little, little dropper thing. And I was like dousing it like I was a priest at a Catholic mass, like all <laughs> over the kitchen. Like I was the like, the power of Christ compels the power. you. <laughs> exactly. Have some of this fucking that- CBD peppermint chill pill shit. <laughs> chill out, go somewhere else. <laughs> and then I took, so I basically like doused the entire kitchen with it and then just like rubbed it in with like the broom for good measure. There was fucking oil all over the kitchen. I can't believe right? you went out there. <laughs> I oh. cannot believe you went back out there. I went out there and I was stomping my feet and I was going, fuck you, <laughs> fuck you, get out, <laughs> fuck you. Like, I was like, know that I'm here. Know that I'm here. There's oil now. Like, What is Sophie doing you, while this is happening? She is hiding under the bed. Like, See, that's a fucking dog. dog. That's a fucking dog for you. <laughs> I was ne- I was never more wanting a cat in my entire life. Like I was like, why did I like not get a cat? Because if oh, this no. was carrot, if carrot was in my house, that thing would be fucking dead. Like carrot would have had the nunchucks grabbed out. it. Carrot's got yes. his own little pair of nunchucks. He's got boots. I don't know where he got any of this shit from, but he would have thrown on those fucking Doc Martens and stomped on out there on all four feet and yep. been whipping those fucking nunchucks around in his teeth. Yeah. Oh, I know. And like, I was like, this, my dog is this, like, my dog is 13 years old. Okay. <laughs> she was terrified because I was screaming and holding a broom. Like, I think she thought, like, what is wrong with you? And she was hiding under the bed because she was scared of me. Aww. Not the rat, but me. <laughs> so that I did not sleep a wink that night. In fact, I shut the door to my bedroom and then I put like a towel underneath it because I was like, I'm not taking any fucking chances. Like, fuck this shit. Oh, that I mean, is 100% would have been my move to like, oh, I'll just put a towel. I'll just like, you know, set it. I don't ever think about until after the fact that like they can chew through that. They can push that out of the way. 100%. But it makes you feel and better in the moment. It's fine. Yeah, 100%. So I called, you know, a pest control company that had like a 24-hour line. And I was like, how early can you get somebody here? And they're like... <laughs> They were like, they can come at 8 a.m. I was like, I will be awake until 8 a.m. So come on in whenever you get here. So the guy came the next day. He he was great because, the I, you know, I don't know how you feel about this, but, I mean, the instinct for me is that I'm like, oh, I have a rodent in my house. I'm disgusting. Absolutely. It's me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and I hate that I thought that because I was like, I'm not disgusting. I know I'm not. No. Like, I'm the cleanest person ever. But it immediately made me just question my living scenario. Like, it just makes me feel bad about myself or something. Oh, you know com- what I mean? I think that, that that kind of shame response is, like, really natural and ingrained. Because, you know, it's it's the way that it's always presented to us is like, oh, well, people who have problems with pests are... You know, it's their problem because they're not cleaning their house enough or they're, like, leaving treats out for the rats to come or, like, you know, whatever. And that's never the case. Like, these are fucking wild animals who are looking to come inside and there's nothing you can do about it. And it has no, yeah. no bearing. It's it's not a, a judgment, a value judgment. But, yeah, yeah, I think that's natural to have that reaction at first, for sure. Yeah. 
and also, I mean, this is something that I think you and I kind of have experienced in different ways in our lives. I mean, that shit's tied to poverty. Like, there's Absolutely. a stigma, you know? So you're just like, in your in, in my mind, I was like, oh, I'm this gross person that's not living right or something. So the thing about the the guy that came was that he was like, let me show you my iPad. I ha- You're the sixth house that I have today that is dealing with the exact same problem. He was like, here's my iPad. Here's hundreds of photos of, oh, ho- of homes that I have dealt with this week. New, old, like everything. They All around, every neighborhood. showing those photos. When that pest control guy was here, the first guy I hired to get the groundhogs and rehome them, yeah. he was always in my attic like, look at this picture, look at this picture. And I'm like, sir, I don't think you understand how much I don't want to see these pictures. Yeah. <laughs> like, you can explain it to me, but I don't need to see the evidence. I fuck. I, I probably should not have blind trust in you. I don't need to see the damage that any critters are doing to my fucking space or knowing where exactly they are sleeping or living because that is just going to creep me out. But they love showing oh, yeah. those fucking pictures. Yeah, they love showing the pictures, which you don't, you don't need to see. But also, in a way, it makes you feel like you're not the only one. Right. And, and, I, and I was like, please tell me that you're like at one of the real housewives' houses. <laughs> and and they, they're dealing with it, too. Yes. Just the idea of, like, it's not just you, right? And he was telling me, like, after he did the inspection, he was basically like, you have a roof rat which is very common in Georgia at this very specific time of year. And like, you know, it's, we're going to, you know, we'll come up into the attic and there was apparently like tiny little, cause they don't really need apparently a huge, they only no. need like a quarter size to just like swiggle their fucking bodies into mm-hmm. your house, which mm-hmm. is terrifying. But there was just like a couple of entry points in the attic where they had gotten in. And because I was gone for a week, right. You know, they realized that I wasn't home, so they were just sort of, like, in the house, taking the bras off, getting real comfortable, because they're like, nobody lives here. Yeah, they're right? reenacting the fucking house party movies. <laughs> yes, they are. Where they're like, let's fucking fucking click heels and <laughs> get a high-top fade. <laughs> yes. These two motherfuckers I saw were definitely kid and play ass, I'll tell you. <laughs> but Ordering pizzas and shit. But what, what ended up happening was, is that the thing that was the most shocking, the reason why they were down in the kitchen is because they we pulled back the, both the refrigerator and the oven because, you know, they obviously had crawled under the refrigerator. First of all, whoever built this house is a fucking moron because apparently <laughs> they didn't put baseboards behind the appliances. Beautiful. So there was literally like a three-inch separation between the wall and the floor Fuck in the house. Hell, that's just common sense. So it was essentially like an open arena for them. They were like, <laughs> oh, we're crawling in and out. Because once the roof rat was in the attic, they can use anything to move around. Like they use oh, the duck work. God. You know, it's like once they're in the attic. But it was like crazy. So they sealed all that shit up with like metal plates because so they don't chew through them. Exactly. So terrifying. But then... I realized that when he pulled back the oven, he was like, oh, yeah, this is like their hang pad because they had pulled down some insulation from the fucking attic Mm. and made themselves a little bed. They had a couple of fucking acorns for (laughs) snacks. And this is where they were hanging out, behind the oven where it's warm in this house. Now you're doing an episode of Cribs with rats. Rat cribs. <laughs> Rat cribs. <laughs> and again, you're like, 
awesome to know. Will I ever be able to use this fucking oven again? I don't know. <laughs> it remains yes. to be seen. If only they were as charming. There's an episode of Cribs that is my favorite, and it's Robbie Williams. You know who yes. you Robbie Williams? <laughs> He had one of the best Cribs episodes ever. <laughs> but yeah, so I was fucking shocked. Like, I was like, oh, holy God. fuck, I can't believe And he was like, don't worry about it. They haven't been here too long. Because you can tell from the poop in the attic. Which, oh, um, <laughs> So anyway, the, like literally a few days later, they had like an entire crew here. They fucking plugged up everything. They, like, went through the house. They made sure everything was copacetic. They set some traps in the attic, which, you know, I was a little freaked out by. I was like, I'm not going up there. And they were like, we're not going to make you. We'll come back. (laughs) We'll come back Um, and collect. It's fine. Yeah. But so far, knock on wood, I have not heard or seen another critter. Oh, thank God. Goodness. And it, did you feel better about how they sealed things up and addressed it and, like, let you know that this is a citywide issue, it's not just you? Like, do you feel better emotionally and mentally? I mean, I do, but also I'm traumatized. Like, straight <laughs> up, I'm traumatized. Like, now I am seeing all kinds of shit. Like, I'm just, like, like jumping in front, like, jumping, seeing my shadow. Like, Aww. I'm really, I know, and I know... That's probably, you know, a typical response to that yes. really, really horrible feeling of seeing one, right? Because I was like, my whole thing is this, like, if you stay upstairs and I never see your ass, right? I can actually probably be okay with that. Absolutely. Okay? The vision of it was what set it over the edge for me. Like, I was like... We can coexist in like some fucking Downton Abbey shit if this is if this is what y'all want to do. If, oh, you, if my house is the house, yeah. But I don't want to see you at all. So that is my the fact MO. that I saw it killed me. That's my Just mo completely. Me. Like I can hear the squirrels. Like I know they're in there. And the the, the way to address it because I've tried to have people come and put the metal and plug the ha- holes and do all that. They just make new holes. So the way that yeah. I have to address it is by residing my entire house and sealing it and doing and I can't afford to do that right now and I won't be able to afford to do that for a long time so yeah I'm okay with them just being around like you're it's cold you need you need to bring them inside for winter I get it I do not want to see you in my living space your your living space is up there in the ducks Mm -hmm. in the attic my living space is down here and when those lines cross that's when I freak the fuck out yeah I know and like I, I started thinking about it because this is the first time that I've lived in a house by myself. Right. Like, for, I mean, for a long time, I was living in apartments and stuff. So, you know, it was just sort of like, I don't know, maybe not, I wouldn't say a non-issue, but just was like nothing that would have occurred to me. And then I lived in houses when I was in my 20s with like groups of other young, dumb people. So, right. I don't know, we could have had some shit in the house and nobody cared because everybody was on drugs and <laughs> like in and out at five o'clock in the morning. There was no like... I'm in a different point in my life where I'm like in my house a lot, especially now, you know, post COVID I'm here. I'm old. I'm like, I don't want this. I don't want it, (laughs) you know, at all. And I, I'm lucky that I've never experienced it until this moment, but I'm going to just tell you my life has changed in some way, in some small way it has changed forever. (laughs) 
I absolutely hate that it's happened, but I'm glad that it was a, a it was fixable. I'm glad that you were able to get it addressed right away. It, you will eventually become more comfortable in your home again, I promise. Yeah. But it is a jarring situation that I hate that you had to go through, but it is also really common. And it's, you yeah. know, again, like when last time you lived in a house, there were a bunch of people there. So there's always somebody home when you live with a bunch of people. Yeah. You go away for from your house for a week and it's like, it could be open season for anything that crawls in there and you wouldn't know for two days, three days until you come back. So that's pretty yeah. common. Um, I remember when I used to live in New York City, whenever I left my apartment, I would put like a cup or a mug over all the drains so nothing can crawl oh, up. Because wow. like, you know, yeah. roaches and mice. And I'm like, all right, at least don't come up through the drains and I'll be all right. Yeah. But like, that's the kind of shit you have to think about sometimes. It's this unseen layer of us living with fucking Living on the planet, <clears throat> that's all that's happening is we're living on the planet with a bunch of shit. Yeah, I know. And, I, you know, and like, again, the idea that a lot, like, I got to say, like, even in my own neighborhood, like, two or three days after this happened, I saw my, my across-the-street neighbors. They had a different extermination company out. They were up on their roof. They were trimming back all the trees. And I was like, see, my across-the-street neighbors who live in a house that is, like, a brand-new construction... Yep. ...is, like, dealing with the same issue. So I'm like, huh, the animals are taking over. I see. Well, This is a huge issue for everybody. Think about what we are, as humans, dealing with on the planet right now with all the war and the pestilence and the plague and the fighting and the, like, all the shit we're going through. You think those vibrations aren't hitting some of these animals? They're going through it, too. (laughs) They're having their own shit going on because all the shit that we have going on. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And so that that is essentially the saga of the past couple weeks is sort of like being in a constant state of anxiety about a lot of different things, but also, you know, this situation, which, again, is fine now. Knock on wood. I hope they found somewhere else to fucking hang because it cannot be here. Go. You don't have to go home, but you can stay here, motherfuckers. Hundred percent. And on, what's amazing about this to me is, is again, on top of all of this happening, the job searching, the roof rats. We're gonna have to talk about this another time. But you also found out that one of your teachers that used that used to teach you in high school has an entire true crime doc- documentary about them. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. just to add a little like shot chaser action, a little. Little whipped cream on top of the shit week. <laughs> You're like, oh, also true crime documentary about one of my favorite teachers of all time. Oh yeah, we're gonna have to really do this on like a bonus because I know that there's probably so many people listening right now that have probably seen this documentary or knew about it way before I did. But it was, it has rocked me to the fucking <laughs> core. I watched it. I watched it like two months ago and it didn't even occur to me that you could have been like in his class. Oh yeah. I, I, it was not on my radar whatsoever. And it wasn't until like a friend of mine, you know, that went to high school with me was like, Hey, do you remember this guy? And I was like, <laughs> yeah. Like, did he die? Are you dating him? Like, why are you saying this guy's name? I haven't thought about him or seen him in like 20 years. And she's like, oh, by the way, there's a three-part <laughs> documentary on Hulu about him. He's a piece of shit. And I was like, no! Oh, so, shit. Well, look, I dated a murderer. You have been taught by a criminal. Yes. <laughs> this is the world we live in now. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, Lord. Speaking of that horrible transition into our theme, (laughs) because there's no way (laughs) to go into it. positive (laughs) note. But I am glad that, like, your shit is better and that you're feeling like, all right, I addressed it. Shit is tight. Yeah. Thank you. I I feel tight, too. I fucking love our theme. I do, too. And you named it. Uh, So why don't you tell them what it is? I've been wanting to do this for so long. But our theme this week is obey all the rules, miss all the fun. And we are focusing on Katherine Hepburn. That's right. Katherine Hepburn, the classic film icon, I would say. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think we decided because, you know, she's been in so many movies that we were like, let's go like her older period, right? Like, yeah. let's do something maybe, like, towards the end, you know, at least for my movie, but also, like, a, a 60s movie, like your film, which, I, <laughs> this is so embarrassing, what I'm about to say, but I've programmed your movie many times on TCM, but I had never seen it before. <gasps> really? Oh, I love oh, that! Yeah. I love it. I love a first watch for you. It's a first watch, and... I, again, embarrassing admission, I am so bad at any, like, medieval, historical kings and queens things. Oh, yeah. Me too. I'm not, I'm an idiot. Like, it just was like, like, realizing that I was like, oh, I'm gonna have to finally watch Lion in Winter. I was like, oh, it's gonna expose me for the fucking idiot that I am because I don't know about any of this stuff, right? But then when I watched it, I was like, this is fucking awesome. Like, I was like, why was I so afraid? This movie rules, yes. you know? So yeah, that is the feeling. I'm so glad you hit that because that is the feeling I think I want people to have in general. But that's the whole point of our podcast. It's like, you might feel like you have a, a part of you, of your pop cultural life that is deficient or missing and that you can never engage with it. But that is not the case. Like, I, it takes me 18 watches to be able to get through Game of Thrones and understand who everybody is because my brain just doesn't work in that medieval dragony way. Like I just don't. Yes. I would. I just didn't read those books when I was a kid. I just didn't care about it as much. But I do love a good historical, a good historical film or a good like historical fiction. So, yeah, you kind of have to train yourself to be into it just by doing it, just by watching it. You'll understand that like, oh, this is yes historical, but it's also just a fucking good movie. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And like. I mean, I remember we talked about this. This was probably like forever ago, maybe like the first six months of our podcast where I revealed that I like don't know shit about Shakespeare. And then you were like, he had memorized so much Shakespeare that you did like an entire soliloquy or whatever on the podcast, like by memory. And I was like, God damn, I'm dumb. No, and that's just it. Like, because I felt like I was dumb about Shakespeare at one point in my life. And I'm like, well, I just have to read Shakespeare and teach myself because I like it. Like everything I've engaged with, I liked, but I just felt, I felt like I didn't feel confident about it. So I'm like, all right, I like this. This is cool shit. And then for fun, because this is the kind of nerd I am, I did start memorizing my favorite Shakespearean soliloquies um, just for fun. And because I also am trying to keep Alzheimer's and dementia at bay. But that's how I started learning about it and understanding what I even liked about Shakespeare or other people who wrote in that era is by teaching myself and just engaging with it. 
Yeah. And it's it's not to like appear smart or snobby or anything. It's just because I really like the language. I like the way he like, you know, he wrote certain characters and I thought, all right, well, this is something I can teach myself how to understand. Yeah. And maybe if you want to tie it back to the star of our episode, I mean, that's kind of some something that you share with somebody like Catherine Hepburn, whom also was just very curious about life and like was super duper active and, you yes. know, was apparently like still playing tennis and swimming up until she died, basically, and was like just this kind of vivacious woman that wanted to just do everything and had a lot of energy. And I don't know, I I think that's kind of like why you and I are drawn to her, somebody like her, obviously, is because she was just like such an independent woman. She didn't have kids. She didn't stay married a bunch of times. Like she kind of, you know, had that relationship, obviously that very famous relationship with Spencer Tracy. But she was mm-hmm. also like, the reason why I'm not having kids is because I like my life too much. And yes. I know that motherhood is a sacrifice and I just don't want to make that sacrifice. And I was like, you know, thinking, wow, that's really modern for somebody in that era, you know, that she lived. And that kind of became like her niche where she would play these modern women that she, she was in real life. She would kind of emulate that on screen. And I think it was encouraging to see that at that time. I can imagine it was encouraging to see it at that time because she was a different kind of actress just because of the way she lived her life. And, um, you know, there are so many biographies and things that you can read about her life. And we could we could truly do like a year, like a whole year series on Catherine Hepburn. But I just think it's, it's worth looking into her because she was just so outspoken and she she had so much spirit and just parlayed that into an incredible series of films. You know, when she was in the studio system, she did, you know, things like bringing a baby and the Philadelphia story and the African queen. And she kind of like mm-hmm. started out in a way that she was kind of part of what the world was at that time for women who were acting where it was very limited, but she made it her own. And she was always stunning to look at for that reason. Like she has like stunning features, of course, but also just stunning in her, her personality, the personality that came through for her. Um, yeah. And then, you know, she started working in stage and Shakespeare later in her life. But just, you know, guess who's coming to dinner and like just winning all these Academy Awards. And like she just really seems like someone who I've always appreciated for the fact that she walked it like she talked it. And instead of bending herself to the will of the industry at the time, she said, well, I'm going to work as an actress and I'm going to do it my way. And I just fucking love that. And I think, you know, the the theme of the show is based on a quote. She's so quotable, too. Like she had all these great quotes, but, you know, obey, obey all the rules and miss all the fun was kind of to me felt like the theme of her life. So I just really love that we we have this wealth of of film knowledge about her, but her actual life was also stunning and fascinating. Like her her mother was a suffragist um, and, you know, an OG feminist and her dad was really progressive. And like, yes, she grew up with in Connecticut with a, a family that was very privileged and had money, but they were super democratic and like really seemed to instill this need in her to kind of fight for other people and to fight for disenfranchised people. And so she never discounted her history and her family life. And she was really close with her family, but she also was like, oh, well, that's just not where it ends for me is that I just, I'm lucky to have been born into this family. And I think her parents really, you know, did that because her parents were super criticized for their 
political beliefs. And they didn't give a shit. They're like, we're going to fucking fight for this. So she was the same way. She's like, I don't give a shit. Um, And then her, you know, she had this huge family and her her brother, she had a brother who she really was close to who had um, apparently died by suicide. Um, And that really, I think, just from what I've read, kind of, at first it was torturous, I'm sure, for her, but like she she really turned it into um, the need to have a zest for life because she was so close to death at such a young age. Like she was a teenager when her brother um, died by suicide. So I think that I just find her fascinating and every role I've ever seen her in has been so interesting to me. She has n- endless amounts of of photos that are hilarious. My favorite one is... She's got to be in her late 60s, early 70s, and she's just up in a tree on her own property, like, cutting limbs down. Like, she's just hanging out on a branch, like, chopping down branches. And I'm like, this lady's fucking rules. (laughs) Yeah. She fucking rules. And she was really private also. Like, during her whole courtship and and relationship with Spencer Tracy, like, they were public when they needed to be for films. But she had a—she was really a private person. So she was kind of able to cultivate what she liked about herself. And if she wanted to go up in a tree and cut a branch, she'd go up in a tree and cut a fucking branch. Like she's not worried about paparazzi and shit because she didn't put herself out there in that way. She's like, the work yeah. is the work. My life is my life. And I really love that. Like I really yeah. take I really took that to heart at a young age that like you can separate those things and and have some privacy um, yeah. and still be really bold. And I just she was very bold and again, like yeah. a rare, a rarity. And just seem, mm-hmm. also seems to just have a lot of fun with her life in a way that wasn't rehearsed or staged. Like she had a full, good life. Yeah. And it's awesome. I love it. Like she never wanted to have kids. She, she got married once, but it didn't last very long. And so she was with Spencer Tracy for like over 20 years up until his death and never thought about like, well, we have to get married. We have to have kids and we have to do. She just wanted to enjoy her life with him. Yeah, and she took care of him towards the end of his life too. I mean, yeah. she basically like left acting, you know. I don't know. I'm I'm you're saying all these things about her and I'm like, yeah, this reminds me of Danielle actually. Like Aww. she's <laughs> They've got a lot in common. Now I understand why you like her so much. Biggest just compliment saying. of my actual life. I'm not even kidding. Yes. Yes. Well, listen, I you're going first this week and I am so ready to talk about this movie. I loved it. More than I ever thought I would. So I'm excited. Oh, that makes me so goddamn happy. I did not know it was a first watch, and I love it. Um, Mm -hmm. My film was released in 1968. It was written by James Goldman, and the director is Anthony Harvey. My movie is The Lion in Winter. I have a confession. Yeah. I don't much like our children. I truly have had this movie on our list, on my list since we started the podcast. It's been over three years. You have. It has been over three years, so this is a thrilling moment for me. I'm going to give you a one-sentence synopsis, and then we're just going to jump right in. The wildest Christmas Eve of all time happens as an aging king faces the fact that his family hates each other, he's locked his wife in a castle, and he might not be able to choose an heir between his three sons. Uh. (laughs) Yes. High drama, baby. (laughs) So this, this movie takes place in 1183, 
at, during uh, King Henry II's reign. And Catherine Hepburn plays Eleanor of, of Aquitaine. And these were real people. Eleanor of Aquitaine was also pretty fucking fascinating. Like she was at one point the Queen of France, Queen of England. Mm. She had a wild ass life. But what we're coming into is the fact that she hasn't lived with Henry for about a decade because he put her in her own castle and started shacking up with this young woman that they kind of raised together named Alice. It's spelled mm. A-L-A-I-S, but he's like, you know, she's she's of marriable age now, which back then could have been 13. I don't know. And he's been hanging out with her and just kind of put his wife away. And you think, well, she must be some withering figure who accepts the fact that he she could be just put in a castle. No, when we meet her, we're like, oh, she's been plotting and scheming this whole fucking time on how to get this dude, how to get back at this dude. Yeah. It is unreal. So we come in and even the opening of this movie gives me fucking chills. Give me some fucking Latin singing. Make this (laughs) shit like the omen right away and I'm in. I was going to say, the opening to this movie is so the omen. I was like, damn, this is setting up for some crazy shit. (laughs) Some crazy. They're like, this is the nicest thing we can show you because the rest of this movie is just going to be nonstop insanity. Yeah. But... The actors in this film are all amazing. So we have Peter O'Toole, who's playing King, you know, King Henry II. Catherine Hepburn is Eleanor of Aquitaine. Anthony Hopkins plays their now eldest son, Richard, because Henry Jr. died. Wow. John Castle plays Jeffrey. And then Nigel Terry is their youngest son, John, who basically just acts through mouth breathing in this film because he's <laughs> he's supposed to be playing a 16-year-old with pimples and shit. And he's like obviously a fully adult male. So he just kind of like looks kind of stupid and opens his mouth and is like, I'm like, oh, is that that is clearly the the perception of 16 year old boys has not changed much over time. (laughs) I was like, even in the 1100s, they got (laughs) teenage freakazoids just like now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good. And the, the lovely actress Jade Merrow is playing Alice. We have a very young Timothy Dalton playing mm-hmm. Philip, King, King Philip II of France. Um, and then just this, again, those are the main players. There's an incredible cast beyond that, but those are the main players. And when we come into the film, Henry is fighting with John, like trying to teach him how to fight. And Richard, the Anthony Hopkins character, is jousting. And he wins the joust, but then he also kind of, at one point, shows me a little future flash of a Hannibal Lecter when he like might kill this dude with a sword and someone has to step in and be like, yo, 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 Richard, calm down. So what we learn from Henry talking to Alice is that he basically wants to disinherit disinherit Richard. He hasn't named an heir and he knows he's old and he's not long for this world because he's 50. So he's like, I've outlived everyone. I'm older than the Pope. And I'm like, oh my God, you're 50 and you're an ancient person. Um, (laughs) And he he wants to put John on the throne. Eleanor wants Richard on the throne. And he also wants his mistress, Alice, to marry his son, Johnny, so he can keep her close and keep her power because she is the sister of the King of France. 
Um, so she came with a dowry and he's like, we can keep your dowry. I can keep, we can keep fucking, I can keep your dowry and you can be um, the future queen when I die. And she's like, ew, Johnny is gross. And he's like 16 and disgusting. And he's like, but that's what's <laughs> happening because I'm the king. Um, and he, Henry doesn't want to give her dowry back essentially because marriage back then was all about those relationships like land and gentry and shit. But then he starts talking about Eleanor because clearly Alice is aware that he is still married to a queen who is alive. And... He's like, yeah, I married her because she had a shitload of land and she was pretty. And But he's like, look, I'll, I'm going to have you here by me and I'll use you as I like, which is just so shocking to hear nowadays. But like that was the rule of the day back then. He's like, you're yeah. going to stay close. I'm going to keep you close. Even though Eleanor is alive, don't pay attention to that part. We're, you're going to be here and you're going to be mine. It's just so like, just that fucking territorialness just made my skin crawl. But yeah. Peter O'Toole plays this role brilliantly because he's a scene-chomping bore of a man, but he just plays it brilliantly. So as the movie kind of rolls on and we start meeting all the characters, we realize that absolutely none of his children like him. <laughs> but that's also kind of how he likes it because he's like, yeah, like, I've snapped and plotted my whole life and now they're snapping and plotting. And even though it's at me, like, I like it. I want them to be tough. And I'm like, that's kind of fucked. And then Eleanor arrives. So we got this whole mix going where he's like trying to command this young woman and marry her off to one of his sons. And his sons all hate him. And they all hate him for various reasons. Like Richard is like, um, I fucking hate you because I was a second born and you always treated me like a fucking piece of shit. Jeffrey hates him because he's like, you don't think about me at all. Like my name never even fucking comes up in your mouth when you're talking about kings or anything. You just like make me take care of Johnny. Yes. And Ho that's my lot in life. Poor Jeffrey. He's like the fucking Jan Brady of this crew. Yes. Just gets passed over so much. And he's the smartest one, so he feels it deeper because he's like, I'm fucking brilliant. And you will yeah. you want me to actually lead your kingdom, but not actually be the king. Fuck that. <laughs> and then Johnny again is just like this oblivious mouth breathing, breathing fucking temper tantrum freakazoid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so he's he's mad because he's like, I'm daddy's favorite and daddy's going to make me king. And he's just mad all the time because he's a fucking child. Yes. Um, but then we meet Eleanor and Eleanor arrives in fucking style. So she's on this boat sitting on a chair. It's pa piloted by like 10 rowers and she's got on her cute little crown and she's covered in blankets and she's got a fucking couple of ladies in waiting next to her. And she's like, oh, how nice of you to let me out of jail, Henry. Thanks. And then somebody hugs, like uh, Alice hugs her. And she's like, you know, I'm, I'm not fragile. Affection is a pressure I can bear. Like she just comes out the gate and is just amazing just from her arrival on the boat. But then she gets into the fucking castle and she greets all of her kids with insults. Yes. So she's like, Richard, yeah, nice to see you not killing someone for once. Johnny, um, <laughs> you look clean. And then she goes, and Jeffrey. And then she says nothing. And she's like, Jeffrey, <laughs> also here. And says nothing. Listen, part of what I absolutely fucking loved about this movie is that literally everybody is reading each other to film. <laughs> like, it is so fucking bitchy. And it's I was so... Bitchy. so surprised by that like i was like oh i thought this was gonna be like a historical uh, castle fucking knights of the round table shit and i was like no no no, i love it it was yes. like katherine hepburn is like such a fucking boss bitch in this movie like she is yes. literally like 
in all these scenes, especially the one that you just talked about, where she's just like, fuck you, and fuck you, and fuck you. <laughs> like, I was like, yes, mama, it's Christmas. yes. <laughs> it's Christmas Eve, and I still don't like you. I don't like my family. At, like, several points in this movie, she's like, I don't think I like my children very much. Yes. <laughs> And she tells them to their fucking faces. It is so bitchy. You cannot convince me that this movie is not the prototype for the the TV series Succession. Oh it is God. about a fucking boss-ass overbearing dad, a bitchy cold mom, and yes. three children fighting for the fucking crown. That is Succession. If you like oh Succession, you'll like this movie. <laughs> 100%. I had never even seen Succession, and I was like, I bet you this is what Succession is about. And if it is, then I should watch it. It was like between, it was like, it reminded me of Succession and like also that kind of like who's afraid of Virginia Woolf yes. type of stuff of like people just like, gritting their teeth, insulting <laughs> family members. Yes. <laughs> that is it, too. You would love Succession. If you like this movie, you would love Succession because it is this. It is this yeah. shit. But instead of 1183, it's 2022. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's so good. And so she's just, like, rolling around the castle, like, yeah, take me to my fucking room. I don't give a shit. I got nothing to do. She has no pressure. Her only goal at this point is to get Richard on the throne. Yeah. She's like, that's all I got to do. All I got to do is get Richard on the throne and die. So here comes a young Timothy Dalton, King Philip. And he's mm. like, I'm 17. My sister is going to marry Richard. Or you're going to give me back this fucking land, this Vexen property, and send her home. And Henry is trying to school him. And he's like, yo, I'm a real king. Even though I'm only 17, I don't need a fucking tutor. I'm telling you like it is. So... Philip comes in with his own designs on how he thinks this this throne situation should go in England. And Eleanor is again is in the background like, yeah, y'all keep talking. I don't like our kids. I do like Alice even though like she's fucking my husband. I do kind of like her. Yeah. But also I refuse to let him give me up. She's like yeah. keeps getting trotted out for these events, but she's like <laughs> likes the kind of parlay between her and Henry. Yeah. So she's like, I'm cool to fulfill my fucking role, but you're going to put Richard on the throne. If you're going to keep me buried away and treat me like shit, the least you can do is give this job to this undisputed heir because he is now your oldest son. So she agrees to try to get Alice to marry Richard and she's going to fight Henry on it. Like they're walking. And this is the other thing I love about this movie. Like they're walking through these hallways and she's smiling and kind of waving at people and like, hey, I'm your queen. What's up? I'm back. As she's saying through gritted teeth, I will actually fucking kill you, Henry, if yeah. I have to. <laughs> she's like, I will take you the fuck out and let our son rule if it comes to that. Like, I'm giving you a chance to do the right thing. But if you don't, I will fucking kill you myself. I know. It was like, it reminded me of like those type of relationships of people that, like, stay together just to spite each other. Like, they're just like, I don't know. There's That's something how the funny and hilarious happen. about that, so. Oh, completely. It is. It's funny to watch families be bitchy at each other because I think that dynamic is set that, like, well, we have to be in each other's presence. Like, there's no escaping each other because we're related, even mm -hmm. if we hate each other. So they're kind of, like, they're, they're resting on the laurels of, y'all ain't never going anywhere. You yep. have to deal with me. Yep. But <laughs> they're also just being, like, as horrible as possible. It's amazing. There's one point where 
she and Jeffrey are on their own because um, Henry finally is like, yeah, I'll agree. Like Richard could be king. He can marry Alice, whatever. And she's talking to Jeff and he's like, what the fuck? What the fuck is going on? Why yeah. is it never me? And she's like, oh, Jeffrey, you have a gift for hating. And he just looks at her and says, rot and walks away <laughs> to his mother's face. He's like, rot, bitch. Like, it just walks away. <laughs> it's fucking amazing. And then she just keeps walking around covered in blankets and hate, straight hating. At one, point, <laughs> at one point, she says, had I been sterile, I'd be happier today. Like, she hates her family so fucking much. But then she also kind of loves Richard a little bit, like, just a little bit more than everyone else. Sure. Um, and she's like, I really do kind of want you to be king, even though you're an asshole. Like, you're a fucking prototype serial killer. <laughs> like, I kind of want you to be king. But she just hates her fucking family. So meanwhile, Philip is angling to make Jeffrey king because Jeffrey is smart. And he's like, all right, if I align myself with this dude, then, you know, me and John can join Philip in a war and we can take the throne, like, when we win. Mm -hmm. So they're all fighting for Aquitaine, which is, like, the richest province, essentially. And Henry agrees, King Henry agrees to, right when they're on the cusp of this, this Richard-Alice alliance marriage, um, she's like, oh, yeah, one more thing. Um, you have to give me my freedom. Mm. Like, if I agree to let this, this happen, you have to give me my freedom. And he's like, fuck that. So they, they go to, <laughs> he calls up a priest. They go to this marriage ceremony that's happening like in 10 minutes and they're like Alice walk with us and she's like why and they're like because you're getting married right now and he's like what the fuck so she and Richard I mean it it, it falls apart spectacularly like her oh, marriage yeah. to Richard does not happen but the insults in that scene are some of the most intense I've ever heard in my life yeah it is an incredible scene so then Henry's like all right fine I'm gonna marry you to fucking Johnny and Eleanor's like look same rules apply if you free me and marry them right now, then, like, fine. Yeah. And she gives this great speech, though. Like, she goes back to her room after this marriage with Richard and Alice falls apart. And she goes back to her room, and she gives one of these incredible speeches. And she did win an Academy Award for this role. That's right. And it's this wonderful monologue about, like, being locked away for the last 10 years when, you know, she used to see the world, and she used to ride bareback into war. And, like, she used to... She's just kind of recounting all this shit that she used to do. And it's such a stunning like a, a, a stunning parallel to to Catherine Hepburn's own life where she's yeah. like, you know, I did it. Like I did everything I wanted to fucking do. And now this dude is bringing me down. Like I got yeah. married for all the right reasons. I married the right guys. I ran fucking countries. And now this dude, because he wants to fuck a younger woman, is locking me in a castle and thinking that I'm just going to wither away and die. And she's yeah. kind of like trying on all of her jewelry and she puts like a crown on top of a crown. So it's a little bit unhinged. But mm -hmm. In, this, in the same vein, at the end of that wedding scene, or that not wedding scene, she kind of asks her husband to kiss Alice in front of her. And so we're seeing her get really sad in this moment when she's by herself. Like, we're seeing real feelings come out. Mm -hmm. um, because you think at first, like, it's just all barbs and jabs. But she really loves him and loves their relationship and doesn't want to give it up. So she's kind of crying and just like... It's just a really spectacular scene. I thought it was one of the best. Um, when she's by herself, there are a couple other scenes like that. But when she's by herself, they're some of the best scenes in the film for me. Yeah. I wanted to ask, I mean, listen, I, I've already told all of y'all I don't know shit about fuck when it comes to medieval rules. Because I was wondering, I'm like, is she like locked away for any reason other than 
her husband wants a, no, a new girlfriend. Like I was no. like, wow. That's how they did. Because wow. also remember, in the, <laughs> so the way I'm not going to ruin the ending of the movie. I don't want to go too much into it in a way that will destroy anything. But remember, yeah. there's a scene coming up that takes place in Philip's bedroom that is like a screwball comedy, a serial <laughs> killer film, and a fucking episode of The Office tied into one. Yeah. And it's basically, they're all in there talking, but they come in one by one, and then everyone starts hiding behind these tapestries <laughs> as the next person comes in. Yes. And then, like, so much is discovered in this. And we realize that in this scene that, like, Philip has also been angling the whole time to, like, try to level a devastating hit at Henry. One of which is Richard and I are fucking. Like, you're, we're gay. Yep. <laughs> so how do you like them apples? Your oldest wow. son is, is gay. And yeah. we fucked. And so when their dad comes in and they all start, like, popping out from behind these curtains, I fucking lose it. It is so funny and weird. Yeah. But Henry in that moment admits that he married Eleanor out of love. And he says, you know, I married her out of love, a woman out of legend. But now he basically says to her when he when he hooks up with or catches up with Eleanor later that night, now officially Christmas, P.S., hmm. he says, I want a new wife to bear new sons. So he yeah. locks her away because he wants Alice to marry him. That was kind of his plan all along is like, I hate my fucking kids so much that I just want to have new babies and have our marriage annulled so somebody else can take over when I die. Yeah. Like, like it's this is all wild to me because, I mean, it wasn't lost on me that this movie was made in the late 60s and obviously like sort of the beginnings of like second wave feminism and that kind of stuff. But I was like, the idea that th this type of storyline exists in a movie from this era I, it's it that's not lost on me because I'm sitting here going like, why is she in her castle? Oh, it's simply because a guy put her there for other for no reason other than he doesn't want to be married to her and wants a new a new girlfriend. And I was like, wow, that is so shockingly like crazy to me because I'm like, again, knowing that this was a thousand years ago. I mean, there was just <laughs> different rules and like, yeah, you could be a woman locked in a castle for no other reason other than you're not attractive enough for some dude and you had to sit there. Exactly. <laughs> until we let you out. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I'm gonna go to the Pope and get this annulled. And she's like, good luck with that. We have three fucking kids. Yeah. But that was the move was like, well, I don't want to look at you anymore. Yeah. And she's saying the same thing to her sons where she's like, look, only one of you is gonna be the fucking king. So the rest of you need to like fix your fucking faces and stop being so stank. Yeah. But he's well, saying the same thing to her where he's like, you're old and I don't want you anymore. And I want more sons and you can't give them to me, even though she's had 11 children with him, six yeah. daughters and five sons. And so that's his, he's like, fix your fucking face. Stop being so stank and let me get married to this younger woman. I know. And like, what a bitch to be like, I don't like my sons. I want new sons. You yeah. get a new lady to give me some new sons. Like, <laughs> so petulant, such a petulant, <laughs> shitty move. But I gotta say, and this is my favorite goddamn running gag with, this character with Eleanor, whenever he tries to level her, she comes back at him and says many times throughout the films, you know that rumor about me fucking your father? What if it's ah. true? What if I fucked your father? And it drives him up. It is like his pressure point. It drives him instantly insane. Oh, he 
loses it in the same way that I lost it seeing that rat. Like he, <laughs> at one point she's like on the bed, she's like on the bed being like, oh, I remember your dad's arms and shit. Like here's all the scars that he had. And he's like, fuck, like he can't process it. And he like runs away. Oh God, <laughs> I love her so much for that. Cause he, he so kind of like beheaded her in that moment for saying that. Like yeah. <laughs> that was like a treasonous statement at that point. But he, it is so great that she always has that one thing in her pocket where she's like, I know I've been with you for over 30 years and I know exactly what to say to you to drive you up a wall. She's fascinating. Catherine Hepburn yeah. is amazing in this movie. Peter O'Toole, again, it's a great cast all around, but yeah. she is amazing in this film. And I the, the Academy Award was very warranted, but I just love that she would choose a role like this, that it kind of, again, towards the the later part of her career, she was still... And this she did this movie. It came out like a year after Spencer Tracy died. Um, right. So she kind of went back with such gusto into this role. Um, and I just adore her for it. This is truly one of my favorite movies, and it has historical slaps and comebacks. <laughs> that I think should be brought back today. I mean, like, one of the bitchiest movies I've ever seen. (laughs) I truly appreciated that. Like, I just was like, this is so funny. Like, this movie is funny as shit because it's just like, first of all, you've got these, like, you know, really important actors. Like, you're sitting here going like, Peter O'Toole, Catherine Hepburn. First of all, I have to revise my opinion on Sir Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> like, forever I was like, he scares the shit out of me because he played Hannibal Lecter, but I'm like, yo. Like, this was his first movie, right? Yeah. Like, and I was like, he's amazing in it. Like, yeah. truly amazing. And like, all the way down the line, like, all of the actors are so good and obviously, like, kind of that classically trained vibe to them. And they're just, like, yelling at each other and cutting each other down in this, like, <laughs> very old-timey type of way. <laughs> and I was like, I loved it. I, lo- I loved it, and I never thought I would, which is, like, why I'm, I'm just so overjoyed by this episode. Because I'm just like, oh, my God, here's a movie that I thought I was too dumb for. And now I realize it's kind of the best movie ever. And oh. And you're right. She's so good in it. She really, I mean, she deserved the Oscar, obviously, because she's just like this like fierce matriarch, like you can't fuck with her. And yeah, don't give away the ending, but like the last scene of the movie is Uh, so good. Like I just love it. (laughs) I would get that whole scene tattooed on my back if I could, if I had space. (laughs) I know. I know. But I'm so glad you you made me watch this movie finally. And it was like on the list for so long. And we finally did it. I'm so proud of us. Me too. And your film, perennial fucking favorite. Oh, I know. I was like, wow, this is uh," like we could easily have done this movie for Sundays with Granddad. Yeah. That kind of movie. (laughs) Yeah. But it's a classic for sure. So my movie for the theme, Obey All the Rules, Miss All the Fun, is a film from 1981. It was written by Ernest Thompson, directed by Mark Rydell, and it's called On Golden Pond. Boy, oh my, you have on a tie. Yes, I know. I put it there. It looks sexy. Okay, so a little bit of a different movie than yours. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But also a lot of similarities, I would say, in terms of the bitchiness factor. 
So Jane Fonda, who is also in the film, um, she got the rights to the play that was written by Ernest Thompson because she wanted uh, to be in a movie with her dad, Henry Fonda. And I think from what I've read, you know, she was like, my dad is up there in age. This obviously was the last film that he was in before he passed away. And I think that at some level... She kind of knew that and that she wanted to have that experience with him. She wanted to act alongside of him, right? Which I think is just a really, um, it's a fascinating look into the film because it's so personal in that way, uh, which we'll get into in just a second, obviously. But um, one of the craziest things to me was that this was not only Henry Fonda and Catherine Hepburn's first film together, but they had actually never met before. Crazy to me. Yeah. Which I just think is so fascinating because they were both doing screwball comedies in the 40s. And Hollywood at that time was, like, really small. Like, there wasn't a lot of people who were actually famous in those days, like, compared to now, you know what I mean? That I'm like, I'm surprised y'all never met at the fucking... Hollywood canteen over a malt or something. That also speaks to what I was saying earlier about how private she was. Like, I don't think she hung out. I don't think she just hung out for the sake of hanging out just to meet people. Yeah. Oh, definitely. That definitely tracks. But it's um, it's interesting because they she was seventy four when this movie came out, and he was seventy six. So they were both in their seventies. They had never met before, and they effectively played a couple. Um, because I'll do a one-sentence synopsis of On Golden Pond. An aging couple returns to their lakeside cabin on Golden Pond to rekindle some old memories, but also to make some new ones. Aww. Why don't they let me write for IMDb? That was a... <laughs> let you just fucking do it. <laughs> just get in there, girl. Start be- um, Become a wiki editor. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So... On Golden Pond was the second highest grossing film of 81, which is, I mean, I don't know. I look at this film now and I'm like, damn, I can't believe all these motherfuckers went to see On Golden Pond. I I mean, that's like, I don't know. To me, that's remarkable. But that's because we're thinking about it in like a 2023 brain, right? Right. But it received a lot of Oscar nominations and it won three. So Best Actor for Henry Fonda, another Best Actress for Hepburn, and Best Adapted Screenplay. And so... This movie begins with Henry Fonda and Catherine Hepburn. They're a couple. The names are Ethel and Norman Thayer. And just as we've talked about throughout this entire episode, Ethel, who is played by Catherine Hepburn, is a real spitfire. She is a ball of energy that cannot be contained. Oh, gosh. She comes in hot. Comes in real hot. Like, this woman is like... We're here. Let's go get strawberries. Let's fucking fuck shit up. Let's go skinny dipping. Like I'm, she's like, and it's like amazing because you know, knowing that she's actually seventy four years old, and 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 she's you know just really all over the place and in a good way. You know what I mean? She's such a wonderful counterpoint to Norman, right? Who is a classic grump, like classic mean-ass grandpa. Ethel calls him Old Poop. That's kind of her nickname (laughs) for him. What I also fucking love about him is that he's not just, like, he's grumpy, but he's 
sarcastic. Like an old, like a, an older person who is sarcastic and knows that they're fucking with you is a different breed. Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, kind of hints of grandma, your grandma, to be honest. Yeah. Where she was like, you know, coming at you with like the insults once in a while, you know, like that's the thing is that he, that's his mode too. Like he's over it. He knows that he's fucking with you. He's clocking you for sure. But then he's also got this like, I think he's very aware of his, the end of his life is coming. Yes. Right. And he's just feeling some type of way about that. You know, he's just contemplating his age and his ailments. You know, he's kind of like forgetting things. And he knows that he's forgetting things. And he it fucks with him, you know? Yeah. There's a scene where, uh, <laughs> when Catherine Hepburn is like, go get some strawberries. And he's like, fine. So he goes out in the woods and he actually gets lost. And it freaks him out. And there's like this moment that's actually pretty terrifying, to be honest. And not even because he's old, but because... I have had that feeling of I'm, I'm in the woods and I forgot mm. to where I'm at, like in that, like I didn't stay on the path and now I'm just lost. Right. It's a very terrifying feeling. And considering his age and, you know, his situation, I mean, I felt that when I saw that part. I was like nervous yeah. for Norman. So they're at, they're at their cabin on Golden Pond, you know, obviously. And it's such a charming little fucking place. Like, the door falls off all the time. And, you know, it's <laughs> like they've got this, like, you know, mailman friend that comes on to the property on a boat. And it's just kind of like this northern exposure type of vibe. You know, everyone's like a character. And uh, you realize that they have a grown daughter named Chelsea, who is obviously played by Jane Fonda. Um, and... It's kind of hinted that they don't see her very much. Like, she might be even slightly estranged from them. But at the beginning of the movie, she sends them a letter and is like, hey, I'm coming to the cabin. I've got this new boyfriend I want you to meet, and I'll be there soon, right? So eventually, Chelsea shows up. And immediately when they show up, Ethel and Norman realize that there is a 13-year-old boy in tow. (laughs) (laughs) And he is... He's cursing, and he's just, like, such an attitude in a little 13-year-old. It's so funny. Oh, my God. He is, like, 13 going on 27. Like, (laughs) and I don't know if it's because it's the early 80s or whatever, but he's, like, Matt Dillon in Little Darlings. Like, he's just some tough, streetwise little fucker. At one point, Norman is, like... What do you do when you get girls? Because he's talking about like how like, yeah, I go cruising for girls with my friends in California. And he's like, well, what do you do with them? And he's like, we suck face. And I'm like, this little fucker. <laughs> he, he like leans, he like leans on furniture like he's just gotten off a 14 hour shift. Like he's just a little <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> you know, he's such a little fucker. But um, you realize at that point that this little kid, Billy Ray Jr., is the son of Chelsea's new boyfriend, who is Bill Ray Sr., played by Dabney Coleman. And I think at some point when I was watching this film, I realized how much I love Dabney Coleman. Like, I was like, (laughs) he is so goofy and funny. Um, And it was great to see him and Jane Fonda together after 9 to 5, obviously. And he's got, you know, kind of a small part in On Golden Pond, but he's really great. Like, that part where he's, like, puts his foot on the boat and and puts on the dock, and he's, like, slowly processing that he's about to fall in the lake. You know, like, what a ham. (laughs) 
<laughs> he's like, well, him. what do you suggest I do in this situation? And they're like, just fall in. And he's like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, and, and and then at one point this rocked me, but you know, he, he does have a conversation with Norman by himself where mm. he's like, he actually kind of stands up for himself and kind of calls Norman out on his shit. You know, which we find out is because, you know, of the Chelsea relationship that Norman has. But, like, basically, like, he's kind of given it to him. And then at some point he says, uh, I'm 45 years old. And I'm, like, l- listening to that going, wait, I'm 45 years old. I'm the same <laughs> age as Dabney Coleman and on Golden Pond? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck! Like, what the fuck? <laughs> So I love those moments where you're like, they, it, people age differently now. Cause mm-hmm. in the 80s, 45 looked like 75. <laughs> I know. I know. And it just gets worse. Like as we get older, you're like, oh, I'm the same age as fucking <laughs> the old woman from the Banshees of Inisherin or whatever. I keep, I, she's like, she is on a, your a mind in this podcast. <laughs> you know what I, I can't stand is when, I'll be scrolling innocently through Instagram and suddenly somebody will put up a grid that's like, here's how old all these characters were supposed to be on these beloved old TV shows you used to watch. And it's like, Fred Sanford was technically 48 in that show. And I'm like, what? Or like, Wilford Brimley was 45 in Cocoon. And I'm like, what are you talking about? (laughs) I know. It's It's like so mean. The the grandma from Friday is actually 17. Yeah. (laughs) No, I mean, you know, it's like, whatever. Like, but it's that thing of like, as I'm getting older, I'm like, oh yeah, that I'm older than all these old people, quote unquote, in film, right? But to, so to this point about Bill, like there is a tension between Chelsea and Norman, right? And you kind of figure, because Norman is such a grouch, that he was probably really hard to deal with when she was growing up. And, you know, I think Chelsea kind of comes back and is talking to her mom, who she obviously has the better relationship with. And she's like, oh, my God, I feel like I'm just like a little fucking kid again being here with, you know, my dad, who, you know, infantilizes me and doesn't take me seriously. And I was like, damn, that's how I feel anytime I go home. Mm. Like, you just are immediately put back into these, like, childhood feelings, right? And I but I got to say, I'm just I got to take a break to talk about Jane Fonda is so hot in this movie. <laughs> I know she's gorgeous. She is gorgeous. And you know what really kind of is I found heartbreaking on this watch cuz I've watched it a bunch of times. My grandparents really like this movie and knowing now what I do about Jane Fonda's life, I feel like she might have been in the midst of her eating disorder during this yeah. time. So she's Super thin already, and you can see her in so many scenes on the lake sucking her stomach in. Mm. And I'm like, oh, God, homie, you look so good. Like, just, I wish she could just relax, could have just relaxed in that moment. But this is all in hindsight. Like, now, you know, knowing what we we know about her life, what she's revealed to us. And she actually, she was a guest on um, uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus's podcast, Wiser Than Me, and she it's a great episode if you want to listen to it, like her talking about her life and and how yeah. she feels about aging. And But yeah, in this movie, she was like, her hair is great. Her skin is great. She's beautiful. Yeah, and this was like, this is her like Jane Fonda workout video era. So it's like she was, because that's the thing is that she is actually like ripped to fuck. Like I was yeah. like, she's got really muscular arms and like, she, you know, like I was just like, and she's tan and she's like in bathing suits the entire time in this movie. And I was just like, man, I mean, 
to be completely honest with you, though, when it comes down to it, like Catherine Hepburn has the best outfits in this movie. I knew you'd love them. A pop collar under a sweater, please. Please. A turtleneck under a fucking giant button up with running shoes and straw hats. I was like, yes, this is like what I want my 70s <laughs> to be like is to be like her in this movie. A messy bun, like she's just living life. Love it. So, at some point, Chelsea asks her parents for this huge favor, which is that she's like, hey, Bill and I are going to Europe for a month. Will you babysit this child that you just met? And also, you're like, well, you, you, you you certainly don't hate your dad that much if you would leave this child with them for a fucking month. And I love, yeah. I love the excuse they give. They're like, well, we, we just feel like Billy Ray would hate. He would just hate Europe. And I'm like, a 13-year-old hornball would yes. hate Europe? Great try. Nice try. Yeah, I was like, did I hear you were in Amsterdam? Like, maybe you'd <laughs> find some fun in Amsterdam. <laughs> but also, for, okay, the thing that I thought was actually a little bit crazier in this scenario was that he is sort of cool with it. I'm not saying 100%, but the idea that He's like, oh, I just met these really old people who are the parents of my dad's new girlfriend. Mm -hmm. Like, I would have, like, hitchhiked out of there within an hour of the mere suggestion that I would have to stay (laughs) there for a fucking month. Like, I'll tell you right now, when I was, like, I remember when I was a kid, I remember having to stay at one of my mom's friend's houses, like, for about a week. Um, and my parents did, never really went out of town very much, and they, like, we went on vacation together. Like, they were never, we were never apart, essentially. Yeah. Like, they barely had babysitters for us. But I remember for that week, that week felt like a month to me, and I cried every single fucking night. Aww. I was, like, sleeping in this, like, six-year-old baby bed that had plastic sheets, and I remember... This was some fucking hot-ass Filipino house where it was, like, 80 degrees, and I was sweating on these plastic sheets in this six-year-old's bedroom, and I was like, I'm going to kill my parents for leaving me alone. What the fuck? Like, like, that would have made me so cry as an adult. I, sleep I, know, I was like, this is so uncomfortable. But, but this guy, this kid, Billy Ray Jr., is like, Okay, fine. He talks about hitchhiking to Wyoming for like five seconds, but then he's like, okay, I'm here. Well, he tr- he does try. I think that's why he's kind of okay with it at first because he does try to lay down the law where he's like, look, mm. I'm here. I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want and there's nothing you old people can do to stop me. And they're like, um, actually, tr- go ahead and try it. We will fucking kill you. Yes. Like, you will drown in that lake before you go to Wyoming, young man. <laughs> but... I mean, I think that the charming thing about the movie is that he eventually, you know, finds this connection with Norman. Yeah. And it's through fishing. So they're, like, obsessed with fishing and trying to catch Walter, the biggest trout in the (laughs) the lake, which is so funny. And I think Norman, you know, eventually starts taking him, too. And I think, you know, there's this idea that maybe he might be kind of, like, redoing his parent role by taking on this kid. You know? Yeah. And then there's eventually this big scene. Chelsea comes back from vacation, and, you know, it's like the big moment between her and Norman. And, you know, she talks very candidly about the ways that, you know, he, like, kind of pushed her away and made fun of her for being fat and not being able to do a backflip in the lake and and about how she always just wanted to be close to him, but he wouldn't let her. And I read that 
you know, obviously this was kind of true to life between Jane Fonda and Henry Fonda. And that, you know, he was kind of a cold father to her a lot of times and that he was really tough on her looks, you know, in that same kind of way. And, you know, you have to remember, too, that her mother died by suicide when she was like 12 or 13 years old. So there's a lot of tragedy between them, really, in real life. And so in the scene, you just kind of feel that between them. And and apparently I read that this wasn't in the script, but that Jane Fonda actually reached out to touch him while they were acting in the scene. And apparently it made him, like, really emotional. Really? Um, Yeah, like, in a way... Like, I read somewhere that she was... Like, at first, that she thought that he might be angry that she had done that because it was so not prepared in the script. But that he started crying, essentially, when it happened. So, I don't know. Just, like, like a nice um, story like that came out of that. So yeah. oh, how bold and cool of her to try to address issues in her real life relationship with her father through the one thing they have in common for sure, which is acting. Yeah. That's a G move. I know, but it's like, I, this movie is so wonderful. I mean, it's got obviously like a great summer at the lake kind of vibe and, but like the acting is really Great. And like, you know, Catherine Hepburn at this point had developed a tremor, which I think is, you know, pretty noticeable in the film. But she also completely did her own stunts, including Mm -hmm. she jumped into the lake with her clothes on. So she was like, I don't give a shit. I'm doing all my own stuff. And she actually encouraged Jane Fonda to do her own backflip in the lake because apparently they were going to use a stunt double. Uh, And uh, Catherine Hepburn was like, girl, you do that. Like, just Mm -hmm. go do it. You can do it. I can do it, like, get in there. And I read that Jane Fonda was like, yeah, in that moment, you know, she's doing the backflip in the movie to impress her father, like, to impress Norman. But she was like, I actually felt like I was impressing Catherine Hepburn in that moment, so it kind of felt good to do it. So I don't know. I just, like, it's such a great movie. Obviously, Catherine Hepburn, so vivacious, even in her later period, like, in her 70s. And... This movie is just really special. Such a such a good classic Sundays with Grandpa movie. But just you know, if you haven't ever seen it and you've always been curious, I think you'd be very pleasantly surprised about you know how much you could like it. So absolutely. I mean, again, so many zingers. Catherine Hepburn is so good in this film because she's you know she's stoic, but she's fun and emotional at certain points, and it's she's just she's was an amazing actress. Like, she made everything look very easy and created these, helped create these characters on on screen that just had so much life and that had to have come from her, personally. Like yeah. you said, like, doing backflips and jumping into the lake and, like, that's all her and she brings that energy to her roles in such a spectacular way. And I loved it. I loved seeing her being, you know, playing an older character who's, like, super cantankerous and you know, find to find she's and the other thing that I love about her in this movie is that she's she's not actively trying to repair her family, but she does have conversations with Chelsea and Norman individually where she's like, get your fucking shit together. Yeah. Like either get it. She's like, what I don't know what you're waiting for. Norman, you're 80. Chelsea, you're like doing your thing. 
Like, there's never going to be a time, a better time than now for you to get your fucking shit together and get over yourself. And I just, I yeah. love that, that she's not, like, sitting them in a room and let's have a talk and let's pretend nothing's happening. She's like, yeah, you're both acting like assholes. One of you should cut it out. Yeah. <laughs> like, I yeah. love it. And, and, that, and that's why this movie is, like, such a classic in terms of a movie about aging and about repairing relationships as you get older because yeah i mean this is stuff you don't really think about as a young person necessarily but as you get older you're like oh this shit hits like you know time time is ticking and you know maybe you need to go out to the lake and fucking confront your dad about some shit (laughs) 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 maybe you gotta force your dad to be in a movie with you so you can talk some stuff out but um bring your dad to work day just so you can talk about your issues that's right but um yeah I love this week. I we obviously stand a legend. Catherine Hepburn is the best, and um, yeah, this was so fun. I'm so fun. Next week's going to be super fun as well. I don't know if you want to tell them what the movies are after we give you a couple of messages. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as always, if you want to email us, we are at asouchdidpod at gmail um, We're always taking mail, email voice memos, that kind of stuff for bonus episodes. And then sometimes that stuff goes on the main feed too. So, um, you know, it's all there for you. If you go to our link tree, you can actually find the PO box address because we actually take physical mail. So, uh, do that. Yeah. And if you, if you do want to leave us a voicemail to play on the show, all you have to do is record one on your phone and email it to, I saw what you did pod at gmail.com and make it 60 seconds or less and record in a quiet space. That's right. Um, also, we're on social media. Obviously, I saw Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Blue Sky. And we also have merch. Um, so go to the I Saw What You Did section of the Exactly Right shop to find it. And we're going to have a bonus episode coming up for y'all. I mean, this is a this is a good hollow, this is a good um, Thanksgiving double feature that we have. If you're going to be with your family, like put on the line winter and hang out with your family. That'll be just for me. Do it for me. It'll be so much fun. <laughs> So good. But if you're like, all right, we've listened to this episode and now our family's all pissed at us. Well, we'll have a bonus episode for you coming out. Our bonus episodes drop into the main feed on every third Thursday of the month. And we have old bonus episodes trickling out um, into the main feed every couple of weeks on Wednesdays. So you might have a couple of ways to decompress after you force your family to watch The Lion in winter and (laughs) take them out on a lake and confront your dad. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love that both these movies are about family drama, too. This is so, so another inroad we didn't realize. But, Completely. Um, oh, yeah. So you want me to tell them the movies for next week? You know I do. Okay. Ooh, this is it. Man, this is going to be a barn burner. Your movies for next week are Easy Rider from 1969 and One False Move from 1992. Oh, shit. Try to guess the theme. I know that most people are like, we never get it. I'm like, keep trying. You never know. <laughs> I think that ever since we made them get the exact wording of the title right, that is creating um, a bit of a challenge for them. But they they can still guess. It's they're yeah. close. We're like, always close. We like hearing your thoughts on your your guesses. And the more you listen, the more you get to know us and the more chances you have to get it right. But, you know, like this week, I'm sure a lot of people said the theme is Catherine Hepburn. We're never going to be that basic. Think about how (laughs) weird we are and then guess. Listen, Danielle literally comes up with the names for 99.9% of our episodes. So, like, get into her brain. Think about Danielle and the kind of person she is. Then you're close. You're really close. So, Um, (laughs) You, You have some bangers, too, but... yeah. Once in a while, but no, you are our, our queen. 
your Eleanor of naming episode themes. <laughs> Highest compliments. <laughs> well, Daniel, it's as always a fucking pleasure doing this podcast with you. The best. And we'll see you next week. Bye. This has been an Exactly Right production. Produced by Casey O'Brien. Episode mixing and theme music by Tom Bryfogel. Artwork by Garrett Ross. Our executive producers are Georgia Hardstart, Karen Kilgariff, and Daniel Kramer. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at IsawPod. And you can email us at IsawWhatYouDidPod at Gmail. Follow I Saw What You Did on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate and review the show. And visit ExactlyRightStore.com to purchase I Saw What You Did merch.